The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This week we're going to be talking about kind of the, the final piece to that. If the four pillars are the DNA of who we are as a church and who we will be 10, 15 years down the road, the, our mission statement, we'll get to that in a minute, is is sort of the, the movement, it's the direction that we're going, it's, it's what we do. If the DNA is who we are, the mission is what we do, it's where, what the direction that we're going in. And I was thinking about mission this week, and uh, it made me think about how the fact that, um, that I'm a really good debater. I mean, I'm a really good debater. Uh, and I can't, I can't take credit for it for myself because uh, it's, it's ingrained in who I am as a person. I come from a long line of people who will say easily make opinions about things. Uh, that's, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. We are my family. We easily make, I guess it's a nice way of saying we're very opinionated people. We easily make opinions about, and they're strong opinions. And, and then you add to the fact that, uh, that we're kind of, we're, we're naturally, um, we're naturally sort of verbose. I'm trying to think of nice ways to say this. Like we're verbal people. Like, it, like words, we have an abundance of words to say and it's easy for us to say them. And we're blessed with very strong lungs. I guess what I'm saying is that we are loudmouths who, have, who are, are able to make our opinion known very easily and very loudly. When you put all that together, like easily strong forms of opinions, it's sort of like curious people who have like, Words come to us easily and like we naturally have strong lungs. Like it just, it's ingrained in sort of my family to be debaters. Like we just, like that's just the way I grew up. Like we talk about things, like not just my, my immediate family, but my extended family. That's just what we do. We all have strong opinions and we go after it. And so when I got married, I, uh, you know, I got married. I love Megan and we're going to have this awesome marriage and, uh, and we would have arguments uh, or whatever you call them. Uh, we, I call them arguments. Uh, you might call them fights. We would have fights or arguments and uh, I was awesome at them. I am a great uh, arguer, uh, debater, uh, fighter. Uh, I am really good. And so like, I, th- I think through six, uh, not that I was keeping score, but I think through six years of marriage, I was the undefeated reigning champion in our arguments. I am great at it. I mean, just every time, because I, I, I thought the purpose that you argue with somebody is to win. Right? I mean, if we have an argument, the point is to win. If you're not going to win, why even just, just give up and go home? And what I didn't understand was that that wasn't the point of the arguments. And so we got six years into marriage, and all of a sudden, like, Megan, like, it comes out like, she loves me, but she doesn't exactly like me. Like, she's just tired She's mentally and emotionally and physically exhausted because if you're, if you're like rope-a-dope and you're like the other guy's winning the whole, like every single round, like you just get tired of that. And she, what, my, what had actually happened is our arguing, our fighting, I was the undisputed heavyweight reigning champion of our home in our fights and arguments. I, well, that was actually doing, I wasn't just winning. I was, I, was, I was notching up wins. I thought that was the purpose I didn't realize or had forgotten the purpose of our argument was for us to 
find a meeting place in the middle and for me to understand what she was saying. You see, it's very easy to, for what we call mission creep to happen. You start keeping score for the wrong mission. And that's what I was doing with Megan. I was the undisputed heavyweight champion of our arguments and our fights. But I was losing every single one because every fight that I was winning, it was driving Megan further and further away. And so we had to go through a whole period of time, months and months and months of me trying to listen to her for the first time and understand what she was saying and try to repair the damage that I had caused on her heart and her life for all those amazing victories that I had scored. But it's easy for that to happen in life, right? Like, how many times you go into a store, you're gonna buy X, right? I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna buy milk and bread. But I go in hungry. And the next thing I know, it's like $77 I'm checking out with that. That's the most expensive milk and bread I have ever bought. But I've got like packs of crackers and bags, like things. I, I never had this before. I got that in there. Like I just load it up or, or something's on sale. Like I may as well get it here because something happens while you're in there. It's called, it's what we call mission creep. You go in with a purpose and you end up like saving money because it was all on sale, but you had mission creep that went sideways. I don't know how many times Megan has come, like, I've, like, I've my dirty laundry, like, Megan's come home and said, I saved us $3,000 today. I'm like, but we weren't going to just spend that anyway, so I don't know how you saved it, but it's what we, it, you have mission creep. You go in with one, pur- one purpose, and you end up going the other, and you win, but you're keeping score at the wrong game. How many times you see this in football? If you were watching football in the past 24 hours, you see a player in like the other player that he's playing against, like whether it's a wide receiver and a, and a cornerback or it's the two linemen going at each other. Like, like they're just jawing each other the whole game and the, one of them's getting under their skin. And before you know it, like the, the guy commits a stupid penalty that costs like 15 yards because he got let the other guy get in his head and he was all of a sudden he stopped playing the bigger game and he started playing the little game with he and the guy that he was standing sending across from he was competing with that's called mission creep I looked at this on Wikipedia so you know it's true Wikipedia uh, defined mission creep is I don't have this on the screen so you just got to listen along is the expansion of a project or mission beyond its original goals often after initial successes. Mission creep is usually considered undesirable due to the dangerous path of each success, breeding more and more ambitious attempts, only stopping when a final, often catastrophic failure occurs. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the text that Allison read for us, Matthew 28. Uh, If you have the Bible under your chair, I think the page number is going to be on the screen. Uh, Verse 18, uh, we gave all the background where Jesus had just been resurrected. In verse 18, the resurrected Jesus, he's pinned dead. He is now alive. He's standing with his disciples. He's getting ready to leave, and he's looking at the apostles. He's looking at the leaders that he's leaving in charge to start the church. In verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus came to build his church. And here you see Jesus, the CEO, the the Lord, the senior pastor of his church, He's giving the marching orders. He's saying, this is the mission that I want you guys to do. Give it to the apostles that he was leaving, but he wasn't just giving it to them. It was passed down from the apostles to us. And the mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. You and I, we don't get to decide the mission. It's already decided for us. So whether it's us as a church or whether it's you personally, like it's so easy to have mission creep. Like we start, maybe like you become a believer or you hear one day, if you've been a believer for very long, you already know this section. You probably know it by heart. You know what I'm gonna say even before I have to, even before I say it. But it's so easy to hear that our mission is to make disciples. But we get distracted. We start keeping score for the wrong things. As a church, we start keeping score on the wrong things. How many of you guys have ever been a, ever been a part of a church that it, it's so, well, whether you have or not, it's so easy to start keeping track, to start keeping score of attendance. Now, I'm pro-people. But all of a sudden, if a church starts to grow or church starts to decline, like we measure six, we start to say, oh, the church is growing. This is awesome. God must be blessing us. And so we grow from, you know, a year ago is like, six and a half of us in this room and now it's like a lot bigger compared to what we were a year ago and hopefully we continue to grow and we can easily say, oh, we must be being successful because we have more people. That's, that's success because it feels good. It starts, to look, it starts to look great on paper. It's easy to record. It's easy to measure. That's successful, but that's called mission creep because Jesus didn't say go and build a great big crowd, did he? He said go and make disciples. And so we start keeping score for the wrong game. And you can win, but you're winning at the wrong thing. Or we might start taking track of decisions, like, like somebody raised their hand, or they checked the box on the card, or they came forward and prayed a prayer. And like, we are for that. The gospel, the gospel is offered. We want people to respond. But he didn't say to go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. How many of you guys have seen people, if you've been around church for very long, who raise their hand, pray to prayer, check the box, and then like six weeks later, they're, they're nowhere to be found. And sometimes we make them feel like, like that was like their get out of jail free card and it's all said and done and the church chalks it up to great success and we can at the end of the year say they were 300,000 decisions for Christ. Like, but our, our church is like 55 people. So something's not adding up, but we're keep, we start keeping track of the wrong thing. We're keeping score in the wrong game. Or maybe we, like, as budget, like as leaders, it's easy to get caught up in a budget. Like, we're gonna be going over in our business meeting after, like, what our budget is gonna be for the coming year. But sometimes if, like, money's rolling in and people are giving, it's easy to feel like things must be going okay because we have money rolling in. We're keeping score of the wrong thing. Or maybe it's like content members that we keep track of. Like, hey, people are coming and they're happy what's going on. Everybody's smiling. They're like content. So it must be, we must be doing well. I'm not against decisions, attendance, a big budget. I'm not against like content members, but none of those 
are the bottom line that we should be measuring. But then again, what about your life? What do you measure success by in your life? At the end of the day, at the end of the year, when you look back over the prior 12 months, when you look back over your prior seven days, what do you consider success? Is it you feel happy? Is it you did all your checklists that you had to do? Is it you actually got the, the kids to school on time? Or you forgot to feed the twins every, every time there was due for them to eat? Or, or maybe your, your bank account is bigger than it was a year ago or your business is bigger than it was a year ago. I'm pro all of those things. But the command that God gave to us was to make disciples. And we can succeed in everything in our life and be buoyed on to further and further success and yet be keeping score in the wrong game. And like I was with Megan, undisputed, heavyweight champion, total knockout every single time I stepped into the ring, but I was losing every single time. And Jesus says, our mission is to make disciples. That's our mission together as a church, as a local church, as the what we call the Catholic Church, or the worldwide church, and it's our mission personally. And what we see in here is we see the breadth of the mission, first of all. In verse, uh, in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now that, excuse me, that is a pretty crazy command when you consider who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to a group of uneducated Jewish peasants in the backside of the world, sort of the armpit of society at the time. And he was standing on the mountain with just a handful of people and he told them, hey, you guys uneducated, like fishermen and like the dregs of society, the uneducated ones, the people nobody is paying attention to, hey, I want you guys to go into all the world, into all nations and make disciples. Like that's a pretty crazy command, isn't it? It's a big call that he's called us to. But what we see is that the disciples did exactly that. When we see the book of Acts, when, when the church began, when God's presence came and filled, because later on we see that he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Whenever he, we see in Acts when God's presence falls upon, God's Holy Spirit falls upon the church, what immediately happens? Mission happens. Right there in Jerusalem, they preach the gospel and thousands of people come to Christ. And then they start to spread all over the world. And before you know it, this group of uneducated, peasant people who Jesus left have been a part of what's said in Acts. So they, the people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. The church in the very beginning has been a church of movement. It's pushing, it's, it's growing, it's looking outside of the walls. The church, whenever it's near the heart of God, is never turned inward and just thinking about here. It's always looking outside and it's always sending people. Like We wanna be a sending church. 
We want to be a church that plants other churches. We want to be a church that we, we pray and we hope that maybe some people in this room will hear the call to go into all the nations and you'll be one of the ones that actually will go to another nation, uh, to a people group who have never heard, because that word nation is actually the word people group. It doesn't mean like a nation like Egypt or America, but it means a, like a, a, an indigenous cultural group of people who share a, a common dialect, a common language, a common culture that makes them sort of separate from the other groups around them. He's called us to go into all the people groups of the world, and maybe you or somebody who will come in will be somebody who will go into another nation and make disciples of another people group. We hope that happens. But part of what happens when that, when that happens is what happens when somebody goes. They leave us. But we, we don't want to be a comfortable people. We want to be a sending people. We want to be a going people. And that's inherent. We're not trying to build a kingdom here. We're trying to be a part of God's global mission. It's what he's been doing since the very beginning of time. He's been redeeming creation for his glory. Redeeming creation for his glory from the very beginning. The breadth of mission is wide. It reaches out far. And that means that we are called, just as the disciples were when they heard the command and God's presence fell upon them and they leveraged all of their life for the mission of making disciples. That means that we leverage our all for the great mission of making disciples, disciples of all nations. I don't know if you, Excuse me, I don't know if you've heard it said, like some of us, in, in the, we think about making disciples of all nations, that some of us will be goers and some of us will be senders. The, the picture of that is like some people will go to another people group and like some of us have to stay here and support them so that they can like actually afford to do that. And we believe that some of us will be goers and some of us will be senders. But we can't be like, we can't be content to just leave it at that. It's not the fact that some go and some sin, but that we all do. The picture that, that Jesus has in this in the, his phrasing is like when he says go therefore, it's sort of like as you go therefore, make disciples. That means that we should be leveraging our all in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. We should be viewing ourselves as going. As I'm at my home, as I'm talking to my neighbor, as I'm at work and I'm talking to my coworkers, as I'm going to the grocery store, as I'm engaging with people at the gym, that I'm going and he's called me to go and make disciples in all of those situations that I find myself in. He's called me to be a, a disciple maker a, on mission, a missionary in each of those places. It's not just a wide mission when we see the breadth of the mission. It's also a deep mission. Look at verse 20. He says, he doesn't just say baptize them. So that has to do with initial conversion. People are making a decision for Christ. They're coming to him. They're confessing their sins. They're repenting and believing. But then it doesn't just stop there. It says teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're not commissioned by Jesus to make converts or to simply make decisions for him. We're commissioned to make disciples. Discipleship is the mission. Like if somebody just checks a box or prays a prayer, that doesn't mean like the, the deal is done then. We are called to make disciples, to be invested in each other's lives, to, to, to help you be a learner and that I have somebody above me that's helping me, that's guiding me and I'm guiding somebody else in the process of learning what it means to be a disciple, to be connected to Jesus. 
I'm learning all the things that he has commanded me. I'm, 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 I'm consistently discovering what it means to now, like he's saved me, he's adopted me into his family. The rest of my life is exploring what does that mean and what does that look like? And that you and I are called to be helping people along that process. It's not just like, hey, I'm saved and now I'm gonna grow and like I'm gonna do my own deal. But no, he's saying that you are called to be leading people around you, no matter how mature a believer you think you are, are not to be leading people into the process of discipleship. Abraham Kuyper has a quote, I think it's gonna be on the screen, but he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is helping each other to see more and more in my life that I am that's coming under his lordship, that I'm bowing the knee to. Because you and I, all of us, everyone in this room has certain areas of our life that we just, like, we sort of like have mentally sort of separated God from that area. And Lord, and me growing in discipleship is me growing and expanding those areas that I have not bowed my knee to him in. And I need people around me to help me to do that. And you need to be involved. The people who are sitting around you in this room and the community all across Myrtle Beach are going to grow. It's gonna happen because you are investing in them and helping them as they see more and more who Jesus is and bow their knee to him. Mission isn't just about sharing your faith more or going on a short-term mission trip or giving to foreign missions more. It's about making sure that we're keeping score in the right game. If he's called us to leverage all our life for the sake of the mission, then I need to see, like, how does my life point to that? How does my career and my marriage and my household and all the things that I hold dear to my heart, how, how are they pointing towards the mission of making disciples of all nations? That's why when we talk about what Doxa Church is and what we're about, we say that Doxa Church exists to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. Doxa Church exists to make disciples because that's the command that he gave us. We don't get to make that up as we go along. And that second part, who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives, has the picture of that, what a disciple looks like and the ongoing nature of that growth. Because we are continually more and more bowing our knee in all those areas and all the domains of our human existence over which God, who is sovereign, declares that is mine. We are constantly growing in that and I'm helping each other to grow in that. I'm gonna have... um, Charles is gonna come up, and I, I, just, I know this is kind of disjointed this morning, but I just wanted to, um, and he'll tell you the significance of today and why he's sharing, but I just wanted to share, because it, it makes me think about Charles, because Charles uh, came in and joined the Doxa family, and people around him, uh, everybody in this room probably have in some way contributed to his growth as a believer over the past year. And there's some of you in here that over the past 12, 18 months have become believers and we have all hopefully joined in with you in the process of learning and growing what it means to be, in what it means to be a disciple. And I just want you guys to have a picture of what that looks like as uh, Charles comes up and then I'll come up and I will, um, 
hopefully tie it all together and we'll close this out. Got to get used to this microphone business. I told Randy before I came in here, I realized how awkward it is for him to do this every week. So I have a lot of respect for this. Um, so um, last week I approached Randy and asked him, I, you know, we were sitting up outside or I guess tearing down. And I said, hey, um, you know, next Sunday is actually the year. It's like the year anniversary. Like I first walked in the doors of Doxa. And I thought about this refocus business. And I said, well, you know, why don't I kind of share about like my, you know, just reflect on the past year and kind of give people an idea of what that journey looks like. Um, so, I mean, for me, so it was a year ago, this Sunday, I walked in the door and, um, you know, I had just been dumped by a girl who I was madly in love with and I'd only walked in the doors to impress her, right? Because she was a, she loved this guy, Jesus and church and faith and I was like, well, I want to do that too. So I, uh, I came up here and I found the church via Facebook, just a random advertisement. I'm like, well, surely she'll come running back to my arms if I, like, find the church and I tell her, like, hey, I found it. All right, let's get back together. That didn't work out. Um, so you get to that Sunday morning, I'm walking in the door, and uh, I, I sit in this back row over here trying to be very, very discreet, very unnoticed. Little did I know how impossible that would be in a group of like 20, 30 people in a gymnasium watching a single guy walk in here alone without like a girl, without his, excuse me, without his parents, awkward, single dude in a school gymnasium, church plant. No idea, no idea what that was like. Um, it, I kind of felt like everybody, like I'm not going to lie to you, I felt like everybody was jumping me. So for, for everybody that's come here the first time, like, I mean, it might seem a little awkward now, but... It was, like Randy said, a lot less people back in the day. So <laughs> I say back in the day. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that yet. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of, it was like this very new experience. I just remember coming in and it felt, I mean, everybody's very warm, everybody's very welcoming, but it was like, again, it's just a little, you know, I was like, I don't know. So, you know, I remember making small talk with Randy. I remember making small talk with Jonathan. I remember uh, Miranda, who's sitting down because she had a muscle injury this morning. I remember she had broken a string on her guitar, and I just happened to have mine in the guitar or in the in my car from the night before. So I remember letting her buy my guitar. I remember Randy preaching out of John 15 about the uh, the true vine and the branches. Um, and I just remember, you know, making all the small talk, just taking it all in. I think I remember, like, you know, telling him that I was a musician because I brought my guitar with me. So I think eyebrows went up with that too, but. Um, you know, I just remember kind of like walking out of there not really knowing what it meant. You know, I didn't know if it was kind of a one morning stand or, you know, something a little bit more. You know, I didn't know where we stood. So, um, you know, during this time I was still questioning all these things. And I, you know, kind of came to this, the following months was like this very, very intense, very, very, very intense moment. Uh, I should say moment, but it was like a, a series of experiences for me. And I just, it felt very, very intense into what God was revealing to me as a, I guess, a seeker. I, I described myself to Jonathan Shanks as a cynical seeker. Um, I was really wrestling uh, for a long time with that, and I just, I'd found, like, this new, new low point, you know, being dumped by a girl. My father, within two weeks, my father had called me and said he didn't want to talk to me anymore. My girlfriend dumped me, and I found out my best friend's mom had cancer. 
this all happened in two weeks, and I just, that was, you know, if you, it's hard to tell exactly where that moment was, but for me, I just remember physically, literally, spiritually, in every way possible, falling on my knees and giving in, and it, that was, that was the moment for me, it's like this moment of like, okay, I'm here to stay, and you know, I started coming back to Doxa. It, it felt really intense, all in this moment, but uh, I remember, you know, when I, when I was reflecting back on this, writing all these notes, it, you know, Jesus didn't start working on me in August when I, the awkward single dude was like walking through the door. You know, I started looking back and I had realized all these moments that didn't seem like a big deal for me. You know, again, I didn't realize like maybe Randy and Megan and Dale, like how, like I didn't realize that the demographic was like me. You know, like the young single dude who, if he went to church, had a really bad experience because the preacher said God bought him a new airplane or something. But um, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize all these elements. I didn't realize that, like, in the past four years, I had actually been playing at a Lutheran church on Saturday nights as a favor to a friend, mom. You know, I had, uh, I just showed up on Saturday nights. To me, it was a favor to her. It was a, it was a gas money. You know, it was just a gig. I didn't realize how God was working on me. Like, it was kind of like I described it as this slow burn. You know, these people were just loving on me for four years. And I eventually just kind of gave in, accepted that. Um, the, you know, Randy brought up the, the month of August is like the month of, uh, it's a lot about, like, refocusing, a lot about changing. Uh, that's particularly true for me. It was in August that I'm, like, uh, I remember being kicked out of my house. I remember moving in with a family that uh, was, were believers, family I still live with today. Um, August is when I came to Doxa. August is always when I started back the semester at Coastal. I just remember that this, this redirect has always been very true for me. I started to notice that the biggest change for me this year was, you know, in the past, you know, it's like I, I used to criticize church, minus the, like, imprisoning people. I mean, I, I, I was very cynical. I, I talked a lot of trash about Christians in church, and I wanted no business with it. I think I remember writing Megan a thank you card, Megan and Randy, and Dale and Keitra, I said, thank you for showing me that not all Christians are a bunch of, insert, you know, adjective here. But, um, you know, it's just, it, I mean, it's really... It's on? All right. Thank you. Um, so I just looked at this, going back from, like, like I said, not quite what Paul was doing, but a little close, you know. Um, and I, I look at that, and I see, like, you know, coming from this criticizing guy, it's like now I'm, like, a member of a church. That's kind of weird for me. I'm a member of a church. I willingly serve the church. Nobody's, like, holding a gun to my head. Uh <laughs> And I realized, it, like, I started journaling a lot more. I mean, a lot of this, for me, processing and praying, my prayers are a lot like love letters in my journal. I used to write love letters to this girl that I came to the church to impress. Now I'm writing love letters to my true love, capital L. You know, it's just this, this transition for me of being refocused. My heart used to break because, like, I realized I wasn't getting the girl back anymore. I was like, man, I was just so focused on this girl. I think I held Randy up for, like, six hours at Starbucks one day, lamenting about this girl. He's just, like, so patient, you know. <laughs> But, you know, my heart breaks in a different way. I remember sitting in Jiffy Lube, and this guy was telling jokes, and he's, you know, making small talk with everybody. And then he, um, you know, I just remember, like, something about me struck 
struck, something struck me about this guy, and he was making small talk with everybody. And I'm just reading my Bible and journaling while my oil is being changed, and then I hear the woman next to him say that they had just come back from San Francisco on a, like, a, like a zoo trip or something. She had a little girl, and he was being really sweet with her. And I was just, he, something about me struck this man, and then I, he admitted that um, he'd actually lost his son when his son was 12 years old. And he said, that's where I buried my son when he was 12. And it's just, it, you know, talk about like a hard re- redirect and a hard focus. I mean, that's, that's where like the heartbreak goes for me now. It's, you know, I don't wish ill will upon this, you know, this girl in question here, but it, I just, that my heart breaks in a different way now. You know, I, I, I talked to Jamin about it too. You know, I just don't, you know, when I was baptized, uh, where's Noah in the nursery? Noah and I were baptized in October. I mean, I remember treading in like hiking, you know, I mean, Randy and Dale were kind of like, come on, come on. But I remember going in like, you know, kind of scared. You know, there's, there's like a picture I think Megan took of it. But I'm just like, you can see my elbows up. And then when Randy dunked me, I'm like, <sighs> you know. Now it's like I feel like I'm going in chest deep. You know, there's, there's not as much fear there because I have the family. Um, so I, I get, when I started uh, writing my notes for this, I wanted to ask myself, and I wanted you guys to be kind of thinking too, but like, why would I want to come up here? Why would I, what is the purpose for me speaking? Why am I sharing this? Is it to hear the sound of my own voice? Is it to show that Randy and I wear the same size jeans? Is it to show off my smile, which is still not as good as John Weaver's? But, you know, it's, what, why am I up here? What's the purpose? Why, why do you want to hear this guy talk? Why does it matter that I walked into Doxa? Um, and for me, it has a lot to do with all of these transitions, this, this heart transplant. You know, I, I probably borrowed that from somebody, forgive me, but, you know, I realized that, you know, my mind is kind of redirected. My mind is not on, on his mission instead of me. You know, all this stuff before was very self-involved. Um, I, I don't really want to receive attention or credit or an applause. I, you know, I don't want any of that. I don't do it for that reason. Uh, in the book of John, I read a, a verse that Jesus said, I don't receive glory from people. You know, and that just really spoke to me. Uh, I really enjoy this experience with church. I like doing it, I say with church, not in or out of church. Because to me, the church is described as a people. It's a bride. I don't think the bride is made of bricks. I think the bride is here. You know, this is, this is the group. Um, for me, it's about seeking this true glory, not the glory from others, not the glory from people, not from myself. I seek the only true glory, which I believe is from God. It's really, like for me, it's like a reflection of him to say, thank you. Thank you for this newfound confidence. Thank you for this purpose. Thank you for taking me from this sorry sad sack in Starbucks lamenting to Randy to like, you know, this point now. It's a huge, huge growth for me. Thank you for loving me back to life daily, constantly. I can't stress that enough. I say a lot like literally resuscitating me from like self-loathing. Um, thank you for providing me with more than a one morning stand. I'm here again. It wasn't just a one-off. You know, it's, I, I kind of, I feel like I've transitioned from this awkward single guy to like this proud son. I can say I have brothers and sisters that love me. I have a father who I know loves me. Thank you for taking me from this broken earthly home to this amazing family who joyfully worships Jesus with their whole lives. And I believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's, it's, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about being transformed from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. So the question is, what's the motivation for mission? 
First of all, the motivation for mission comes from the fact that the one who calls me to mission is my resurrected Savior. If you in, if you in here, if you've met him, and he has uh, reunited him yourself to him when you were separated, when you were rejected, like Charles is describing, and he has accepted you and engrafted you and adopted you, and he calls you to go. You want to go. But not only that, we want to go because it offers life to those who are spiritually dead. I mean, sorry. I'm not trying to get emotional. I'm trying to manipulate. Um, when, uh, there's a few months ago, I, I kind of lost it during communion. And, uh, and the reason that sorry, the reason that I lost it is because, as I was saying, this is his body broken for you. I saw some of you come through. Okay. I saw some of you come through, and that wouldn't have been true for you weeks ago, months ago. His body was freshly, really broken for you. You were partaking of it because you were, have been reunited to him. And when we offer to make disciples to people around us, when we leverage our lives for that, we leverage our lives for people like Charles and people like us and people like all of us in this room who were one time, were far away from him. But then look at what a year difference makes for Charles. A year ago, uh, he, he, maybe slightly over a year ago, he was mocking Christians for some of it for good reason. Now he is one. I, I sat down with him in that Starbucks meeting and I was just trying to get to know him and try to figure out what's going on in his life and he's talking about his, how this girl dumped him. And the next time we met, two weeks later, his life, he was a totally different dude than the first guy I'd met. Something had happened. Life had been found where there was just death before. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then the motivation for mission, lastly, is that it's authorized and empowered by the Lord and King of earth and heaven. I have a really cool quote. I'm not gonna do Josh, but um, really cool quote by N.T. Wright how he talks about how we live in as resurrection people between the first Easter and the, and the final resurrection, and we get to live as resurrection people. And the, the exciting part about that is when, like, a year and a half ago, the people around Charles probably thought it was impossible for somebody who liked him, who was cynical to who Jesus was, to, to become a believer, but it's God's power that brings people to him, not us. How does the mission succeed? What does it look like for you and me? Um, we're gonna be talking about community groups. I hope you're gonna stay for, we're having lunch afterwards. We're gonna talk about community groups and how, what it means to be involved in a community group and that the fact that you're not gonna be making disciples unless you're actually involved in making disciples and that's where it's gonna happen for us as, as Docs of Church in the context of relationships, a community that lives on mission in the community groups. If you want to like, 
dial in with a group of people who are on mission. We have a membership class coming up on September 20th. We want to be a people who are leveraging our lives to be disciples and to make disciples in return. Here, in our neighborhoods, in the Grand Strand area, and then wherever he may call us, to all nations, we want to be a part of that as a people. We want to leverage our all for that. Can you think of anything? You don't have to answer. Can you think of anything that would be better than that to give your life to? I want there to be dozens and dozens of Charles. There's only one Charles. Maybe we couldn't handle more than dozens. But I want <laughs> dozens and dozens of people like him. People like him and John Weaver and you guys know in this room who 18 months ago were not a believer. You've come to know him. I want more and more people like that. I've been, I've been able to invest in people like John and Charles and their growth and development to disciple them. And I want more. And I want them to do the same thing. I want to replicate ourselves on mission. I want to be a people who are leveraging ourselves for the purpose of making disciples. Uh, we've gone late. I'll pray. The band will come up. We'll do communion. Father, I pray for uh, us as a group. Father, I pray for us as a community. I pray that you would uh, help each of us personally as we take some time before communion to, uh, to think about what does it mean uh, to leverage our lives for the sake of making disciples, to think about how we've come to perhaps uh, keep score in the wrong game in our lives to keep score in the wrong game and our involvement in a church community. God, you know I'm not trying to converse, coerce people to be a part or to do anything, but God, this is what you've called us to do. And you have given us all your power and authority in order to do it. We are people who were once dead who are now alive. And we get to be a part other people who are dead becoming alive. Help us to give ourselves to that and to be a community of people who give ourselves to that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.